Okay, uh, welcome to the Flickfair podcast. This is our very first podcast, and we're very proud in this podcast to have two amazing filmmakers to talk about their film called Entity. One little note on the side is the Flickfair festival uh, or streaming festival is all going to be launched June 1st, along with this podcast and subsequent podcasts that will be made. So my name is Mark Travis. I'll be your host. And today I'm pleased to uh, introduce and honor the two men who are central to making this amazing feature film called Entity. One is Michael Yurinko. Hello, Michael. You're there. I'm here. Hello, Mark. Oh, hello. And Holt Boggs, the actor. You're there. Yes, sir. Okay, welcome. So, Michael is uh, the director and writer of this of entity, and Holt Boggs is the actor. Now, when I say the actor, one thing you have to know, by the way, got, for those of you listening, because you haven't seen the film, a lot of spoilers coming up. I just thought I'd warn you. That doesn't mean don't listen, just you're going to hear <laughs> a lot about the film. The fact that in this film, for I would say about 90% or so of the film, it, there's only one actor on screen, and that is Holt in this film. So when I say he's the actor in the film, he is he's the entire cast for most most of the time. So <laughs> welcome both of you. And I would first before we get going with this with our interview here, I want to congratulate you on uh, Entity. Uh, it's an amazing film. It's a oh, it's you. a courageous film. It's a bold film. And it's sort of a revolutionary and audacious film because for those of you listening who like horror films, you really should see this film because these guys broke a lot of rules and created some new ones, I think, in the, in the making of this film. And so it's, it's worth your attention and all that. So the first thing, and I want to congratulate you for entering into the uh, Flickfair Festival and being um, accepted. So the film will eventually screen probably sometime in June. So first question to two of you. Well, one, one little statement, as I noticed in the credits, both of you are also producers. So I'm assuming that you work together a lot, maybe in the concept of the film or the creation of the film, whatever it is. You can talk about that later if you like. But what I want to ask you about right now is what was the inspiration for this film? What compelled you to want to tell this story. I'm going to start with you, Michael, since you're the yeah. director writer. Um, well, I, I guess, I guess I could really back it up here and, and kind of quickly kind of go through this. Uh, you know, I saw the, the movie, the exorcist when I was about 13. So that might've been like, like 83 or so about 10 years after the movie came out <clears throat> and, uh, but a beautiful age to see that film. And, uh, you know, back in those days, you know, I, I don't think we were desensitized as we are now. So it really, you know, made an imprint on me. And, um, you know, I mean, for years, I, I would just just have the film mull around in my head. Like, why her? You know, what is this real? Can this happen? Like, you know, I, I just was kind of floored by it. And so, I mean, you know, you grow up and, and you're you're you know, you broaden your horizons and you kind of move out of things and stuff. So um, I still enjoy the film, um, but I wasn't impacted as I was as a kid. Uh, mm -hmm. Fast forward, I don't know, good 10, 15 years later, I, I suffered an episode of sleep paralysis. Oh, wow. Um, 
Yeah. So for anybody who doesn't know what sleep paralysis is, it's basically you wake up and you can't move a muscle in your body. Hmm. You're fully aware, but you, you just can't move. And you have this just dread, absolute dread that you're feeling. Um, like someone's watching you or it's something's going to happen to you, but you can't move a muscle. And it lasts about, I don't know, I, it seems like eternity, but it's probably more like five minutes. Um, so that, again, was something that I kind of like, you know, put in the catalog and then kind of forgot and moved on. So Holt and I were kind of approached by this, this one producer who had a little bit of money. And he said, you know, I'll put it towards a horror film. So just kind of like spitballing ideas and stuff. And, and I took my, you know, my curiosity of the exorcist and the sleep paralysis. And I sort of came up with this idea of about a, a man who's trapped and what, you know, the question is what was going on in Reagan's mind when she was possessed in the exorcist? Like what was her personal experience? You know, what was she seeing? Was she f- seeing weird things? I mean, what was her reality? Mm-hmm. So that, really was the kind of center point of where entity was born from and and original name was hostage Mm. which i thought was a better name but uh you know distributors and producers you know they get their hands in it and they they change things but (laughs) so yeah that that's that's pretty much where that came from wow so um that's that's fascinating And, and and for you holt getting involved in this yeah i mean for me i um you know he talked about the other producer we had on board at the time. Uh, I had known Michael uh, for a few years. We hadn't really been, we'd been looking at uh, some kind of project to work together on. Um, and then when he first sent me the script for hostage, um, I was, I'd never seen, you know, we've seen, we've seen exorcist, uh, exorcism type films and the exorcist, like you'd mentioned before. And there's been a lot of demonic possession films uh, or, or, or series and that kind of stuff that we've seen but I'd never seen one from this point of view before. Um, like he talked about um, from what's going on inside their mind. And the fact that this film dealt with that um, on a very uh, specific level um, uh, from an acting point of view, I, I just felt like there was just a, a tons of room to play and, uh, and obviously a lot of freedom. Like you mentioned me being a, Oh, the, uh, the the guy you're looking at for um, way too long in the, in the first part of the film, but um, just uh, I was really really interested. I'd never seen that done before, and so I begged Mike to you know let me read for it, and um, he did, and I did, and here we are. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, now this now this is fascinating. So because we have, um, I'm going to be uh, sort of transparent here um, in terms of the world of horror films. It's not uh, a genre that I've a genre that I've watched a lot, and I have a lot of friends uh, who've made some horror films and some rather famous ones too. Uh, but it's not a genre that I completely understand. Um, but you you've created a horror film um, where we never see the monster. We never. I mean. Mm-hmm. And it's, in fact, we very, there's very little of the damage that the monster is doing. We see the effect uh, that it's having on the main character, on Holt's character, but we never, now, was this a decision from early on as you, as you were putting it together, Michael? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I guess I took a page out of Ridley Scott's playbook and alien, mm -hmm. you know, where uh, you don't show the monster. It's more effective that, you know, the, what the audience brings to the film right. is far more terrifying than what you can conjure up is mm -hmm. it might not be what, you know, aligning with them. And the other thing too, um, you know, Holt said early on, it's like, dude, I am not making a movie with a, with a guy in a rubber suit in it. <laughs> and I, you know, I totally get that. I totally get that because here we are, you know, we're going to be on this endeavor and it's going to be, it's going to be tough. This is going to be a hard movie to make. And the last thing I want is for you to be pouring your soul out and me wheeling out this Kmart issued rubber suit, you know, and have you continue, you know, pouring your heart out, you know? So it's something that uh, for me, you know, I, I was always afraid of the boogeyman, mm -hmm. you know, the, the unseen. And again, it goes back to the exorcist, you know, it's just like, you never see that thing either. Um, uh, and then, you know, look at Jaws with, with Spielberg, you know, the shark wasn't working, but it just worked in his favor because right. you don't see this thing. So, yeah, that's definitely part of the plan. Great, because it, it does create, um, I mean, for me watching it, it's, um, it's interesting. I mean, for my reactions, at least personally, when I watch some films, especially a horror film, I have these conflicting reactions. One is I want to see the monster. And then the other is I really don't want to see the monster simul simultaneously. So it, it creates a lot of, uh, for me, never seeing uh, what he's battling. I think actually, and I'm going along with what you were saying, Michael, it creates more tension. And in fact, it puts me more in inside that character because my feeling is he's not seeing anything he's hearing things and he's experiencing things um so that you know yeah, I, I, I think i think it was it, it, that's what i'm saying is a, what i said earlier about a bold film it's a bold choice it would have been safer to um see the monster in fact i'm going to mention two monster films now just for a second one is The Quiet Place, and as soon as the monster showed up, the film fell apart for me. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I thought it was brilliant up until then. And mm -hmm. another one was the Somalian film, um, was it called Signs? Yeah, yeah, same, I, same experience. And when the monster's shown up, and you know, the baseball bat scenes at the end, I, mm -hmm. I said, yeah. oh, come on. I am so, I am now. I'm I'm no longer interested, and so I, I'm so I'm going. You know, I'm really speaking in support of your decision to say we're not going to do that. We're going to have the man battling the monster, but we don't see the mm -hmm. monster because I think once it becomes um, physical, once it becomes real, you run that huge danger of us losing yeah. interest. Yeah, you know the other thing too. You, you mentioned that you know you're not really coming from the horror world you know and neither have we really um my past screenplays my past work my past films you know they they're all dramas and and things like that um horror was suggested to us uh because there was an avenue to raise money mm -hmm. so we're kind of approaching it from that angle you know we're not you know aficionados of horror so kind of applied the craft of dramatic screenwriting and it just so happens that it's a ghost, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So I, I think it might've helped in some way, uh, maybe, I don't know, but you know, the other part of it is not knowing um, the fans, the true fans of horror. You know, it was a hard to have a barometer where we were. Is this thing scary? Is this gonna, 
you know, keep people's interest, you know, which again, you run the risk when you have just one actor. Um, how, how am I going to hold these people to the mm -hmm. end where the payoff is, you know? So it was, it was, yeah. And how are you going to hold us with only one character on the screen? For, yeah. yeah. Right. For that. Uh, I mean, that's, that's another very, to me, an extremely bold move. Um, mm -hmm. Because you have a character, I mean, who doesn't get to relate to other characters except the dog, you know, mm -hmm. during the, during 90% of the movie um, or a photograph or something like that. Um, that's also, also a very, very bold move. One, one, one other question I want to ask you just a little bit. Well, because I want to get into the actual making of the film, but big question. Did you shoot this in sequence? Huh? It's funny. We that was the plan. We were going I'm, to I'm, shoot I'm, this. I'm gonna, in for the listeners, I'm going to stop for a second. This this ninety percent we're talking about all takes place inside one house, so there's not a change of locations except the locations within the house, um, upstairs and downstairs and all that. Just to let the listeners know. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so that was the plan. Um, you know, I I think it that's always the best preferred way to, to make a film. Cause I mean, obviously it's a progression, a natural progression for everybody, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I had those talks with uh, the cinematographer and our plan was to kind of rig the house. So we're, we can just continually film anywhere in sequence to the mm -hmm. story. Um, and we tried that for the first day or two, maybe. And we quickly realized like, yeah, no, this is this, we're losing so much mm. time. Um, so we had to do the, you know, the old traditional flip the room thing and, and, and do it that way. But no, that, that was the intention to go in sequence. Yeah. Because you have, um, the challenge. So since you didn't, you have another big challenge, which is the continuity of Holt's character, the main mm -hmm. character through, if, if you're jumping a four, if you're staying in one location, uh, like the bedroom or any room and then jumping time. You have to match his look and also his performance state of mind, which is another enormous challenge, especially, right. especially, um, and this of course is my favorite area, which we're going to get to later, which is just actors and directors working together, but especially for the actor when there's no other actor to sort of keep you on track of where you are. You're just, you're just all, just you, you in the house. If there's two or three other people, they, I mean, actors have a way of sort of helping each other orient to where they are in the story. But in this case, Holt is seriously, totally, totally all, all alone. Yeah. So it's amazing. So, um, okay, big question now. You two uh, decided uh, you were brought together because of this project and because of the producer who wanted to make the project. And that's great. So... And you and the two of you are also producers on it. And Michael, you both directed it and wrote it. And I'm really curious about. I'd like to spend some time on whatever whatever stories you want to tell us about your relationship, the two of you. Because in a, besides a crew, it's the two of you alone making this movie, um, and how the, how that relationship worked from the very the concept at the beginning and the creating the script or the analyzing of the script or Michael, I'm throwing out a lot of questions. I know. Did you write the script first, Michael, and show it to 
um, Holt, or did you and two of you talk about the script? How did all that go? Yeah, I, I wrote the script first. Um, and then, you know, once I, I got it to a place where I felt good, I, I sent it out. And um, Holt is painfully logic logical. Mm -hmm. good. <laughs> he will point out the, like, dude, this doesn't make sense here or this. I'm like, wow, I didn't even see that. You're totally right. So at, from that point, it was a collaboration. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was more like fine tuning it, you know, and kind of kind of getting it. And then, you know, going into going into um, prep, you know, Holt and I spent a lot of time on the phone. I mean, he was he was one part of the country. Mm -hmm. I was in another. And uh, so we're on the phone a lot. And that was our. I don't want to say rehearsal because it wasn't really technically a rehearsal, but it was, it was different hats that were going on. You know, Holt was putting his actor hat on, I'm putting my director hat on and leaving the writer kind of like in the, in uh -huh. the shadows. And when we talked for hours about the script and, and we were actually uncovering things in the material that seemed new to us, even though we were kind of working on it. And I thought that was just amazing, you know, where you write a, a, a script and you can still unearth new things about it when you're talking with your actor about it. I was just completely blown away by that. And I, I think it's amazing that that can happen. And, you know, that was pretty much how we kind of prepped for it. And um, Holt was coming off another movie in Texas and he came, I think he had a week off, came right up to Pennsylvania. I think we had a couple days. We we're just kind of like, talking a little bit and then bam we hit the floor and we were making this thing um and it, it wasn't a lot of not a, a hold you can correct me you know if my memory's bad but it wasn't a lot of directing i i kind of took a big step back and i knew i got the guide i right for the part and i kind of let him go and you know it wasn't wasn't a lot of tinkering or anything like that and you know when he needed something, he came to me, and and when I had an idea, I'd, I'd go to him. But it was sort of like, you know, just release the gates, and we went. Wow. So, um, any thoughts you want to throw in, Holt? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the 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 blessing and the curse of, of shooting something on a lower budget when you're an indie filmmaker is that you know you have these promises of money and they fall through, and you have these more promises of money from said investor, and that falls through, and. <laughs> You get these dates you're supposed to start shooting, and that falls through. Um, and yeah, we we definitely went through the 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 yo-yo cycle or the seesaw cycle of that. Is, is what happens on films. But what was good about it was that it gave uh, Mike and I just more and more time to flesh out the script and flesh out the characters and and talk more. And by by the time I got up to the Poconos, you know, there in the location with Mike, I mean, we were kind of like an old married couple at that point. You know what I mean? I mean, we had, mm -hmm. we we were like painfully familiar with uh you know the, the the material uh in every sentence of of the text and the dialogue you know when i when i had dialogue with other characters and every beat of the film and so yeah when we when we got to working together on set it was we both knew we both knew this this fucking part of my language this movie like the back of you know back of our hand um and then so it really was a true collaboration we'd go into a space and 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 when you talk about like the power of staging and, you know, we, we would go into a, a, a space and the bedroom or whatever and talk through the scene and 
you know, Mike would ask me how I saw it and I would tell him how, you know, what are my thoughts? And he would say, mm-hmm. well, this is what I was thinking. What about this? And it was really a true collaboration. Then we bring the DP in there to kind of watch what our idea was as, as a team. And then, uh, and that's how, you know, basically things got set up, but it was, a, it was probably the most collaborative experience that I've had ever. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So in terms of actual rehearsal, it sounds like a lot of it was discussions over the phone, which are more yeah. conceptual or usually tend to be intellectual um, rehearsals. And, but in terms of the the rehearsals of scenes or moments, um, in that, were there any rehearsals besides the staging, um, or was it as you were saying, Mike, just stage it and let him go and see what happens? Yeah, that's that's pretty much how it went. Um, if it, you, you want to call it rehearsal, I was calling it, you know, you know, take one. <laughs> so we were yeah. just rolling on it, and uh, um, you know, and and you know, I don't whole I don't I don't think we ever really kind of talked about this after we finished the film, and you know, I, I was kind of going on the uh, the idea that if something was up, you'd come to me and say, you know, I need more from you, right? You know um but you never did so and the way i was working is that uh if i say move on that means i'm happy you know it wasn't something that was kind of you know so you know when i guess that's where you kind of have to you know have the movie kind of cut in your Mm head you know have pieces gonna fit and it's gonna Mm -hmm. work for you um there was a couple times holt's like you know no i gotta do it again i need something else from this i'm like cool not a problem um, and being low budget, you know, um, I'm, I don't know, I got this problem where I'm always worried about yeah. the day, you know, making the day. So if I got it in one, I'm moving unless somebody has something else that they want to try. I'm, I'm, we're moving on. So I don't know if that pace helps, it might help some people might hurt other people, but you know, I was taking my cues from hold like, okay, cool. We're good. Mm-hmm. And we're moving. So, so, so a lot, a lot of pieces here were one take. Um, no, no, I think well, I mean, we did things generally because I would want another take, or you know, the whole you know, quote unquote, one more for safety kind of a thing. But um, you know, uh, sometimes if we had a you know uh, a camera move that wasn't working, or a, you know, a focus pull that wasn't working mm-hmm. properly, we generally would do a couple of these for safety. But you know, the the one the one benefit by being the only um, human actor for a lot of the first part of the film was, you know, wasn't a lot of dialogue for me to screw up. Right. So it, uh, it worked out well, you know what I mean? Yep. And, uh, and uh, you know, and also too, uh, I didn't have to get together with other actors at night to rehearse. So, you know, oftentimes even myself, I, I'm in my bedroom and I've already, I've already been to the house. I know what the house looks like. I know what my room looks like. I know what scenes we're shooting tomorrow. So mm-hmm. I am running through it. I'm rehearsing basically. Um, with the only other actor that's in the film is me. And so uh, um, I was putting that time in the, the, you know, the nights before, and then Mike and I lived uh, in, in the same house together uh, as far as on location. So, you know, sometimes we would sit outside on the patio and talk through scenes and that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of preparation and, and rehearsal with myself by myself uh, or with, with Mike, uh, you know, um, you know, prior, prior to uh, rolling camera the next day. Yeah, and I would think Holt that I'm just I'm sort of inspired by something you just said because your character for a huge chunk of the film um, is all alone, 
in fact, is all alone with himself and in his own thoughts and mind and has nobody to talk to. And allowing yourself or Mike allowing you to be alone, even rehearse alone without Mike, might have yeah. been an advantage. Like, let's, let's keep it all inside your head, Holt. What's going on? You know, let you struggle with it and let's... Um, I don't know. I just, that's something that just struck me. Yeah. What you're talking about, because this is an unusual situation where you're directing an actor who for the over, you know, an hour and so much time of the film, the first hour and more of the film is all alone. And how do you maintain that sense that he is truly all alone? If you keep messing with him, maybe you, you'll hurt it. Right, right, right. That was, that was definitely a concern of mine. Mm -hmm. Um, and like generally on set, I always had uh, headphones in. And I know I was, you know, for a lot of maybe the crew, I'm, I'm generally more social, but I probably appeared antisocial. I wanted to not uh, have any much communication you yep. know, with people. I would talk to Mike when I needed something and so forth and so on, but I'd have headphones in, um, uh, listening to music or whatever to not have any human interaction. And then right before action, I would always look down at the floor and I would try to find a space and sometimes I would use my, my hands to kind of cover and find a space on the floor that I didn't see a C-stand or, or a grip or a grips foot walking through or whatever, and try to imagine the rest of the room being completely empty with my headphones in. And so I yeah. would try to work on that because that, that was definitely a concern of mine as well. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. So the, you were shooting 12 hour days and as, as you communicated to me before, Mike, pretty much you stuck to that and didn't go over, um, which is good. Um, especially if there's only one actor because mm -hmm. he's working for 12 hours all day. Uh, just a couple yeah. technical questions. How many days did it take you to shoot this? We were scheduled for 15, um, but we ran into some issues, you know, on the very front end mm -hmm. of, the pr of the production, which put us behind. So we actually wound shooting for 16. We, we, we grabbed a Saturday uh, out of the cruise lives and, yeah. and we did a pickup. So wow. yeah, 16 days. Total. That's, a, that's, that's, that's brutal. Yeah. That's really, really brutal. Yeah. And yeah. even though you're still in one location in the house, but after a while that can become claustrophobic too. And now this, I, I'm going to, since I'm onto the house for a second, this house that you used, now, now we're getting into some technical things. This is a house you found that you felt was suitable. I'm assuming, which it is for this story. Because it's supposed to be like a vacation home out in the mountains and things like that. Mm. How much damage did you actually do to the house? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, well, this is a spoiler. You'll see the no. film. You said they did a lot of damage to the house, or the or you did it very brilliantly, <laughs> and there was no damage at all. Yeah, not surprisingly, not that much. Um, I think that. The only remaining marks on the house are there's a hole in some of the beams in the ceiling that we had to kind of drill into to do some support oh, rigging work. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, other than that, the house kind of wow. made it out all right. You know, it's just paneling and you should yeah. take it off, put it back on. Um, I think we, the ceiling in the bedroom, we kind of removed uh, to get some higher angles and then we put that back when we're done. Um, you know that the uh, yep. the whole attic set was actually a sun porch that we raised the floor on, and so 
it wasn't so, really an, yeah, an and, and it wasn't really the top of the house. Right. Oh, very, very nice. No, no, it was it was a sun porch. And uh, so we added that gable yep. end, yep. the louver gable that he kind of beats up and, and, and chews through. And um, and then when he's kind of like smacking yep. the roof in the attic, that was all built. That that was a skylight that was there that we removed and just put paneling and insulation and and drywall and roof shingles, like all the stuff you would find if right. you were bussing through a real ceiling. But he was just going through an empty skylight hole. And then we boxed all these areas out and put mm-hmm. in our fake snow. So, and then we, we shot the film in like June or July. So all that snow was, was fabricated wow. and, and brought in and nice. um, packed. Yeah. yeah it's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. It looks good. It looks right. So the, and, and that cabin is, is oh, my really? brother's. So um, he lives in San Francisco and he, he was living there at, at the cabin. It's uh, you know, he got it in inheritance. And he partied there for a little bit, and then he went to San Francisco, and he's still there now, and, and nice. uh, it was available, you know? So we just... Nice, yeah. low-budget film, and you, you've got a brother who has a house that you can yep. use that he's not using? That's, that's, yeah. That's, yeah. that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So, okay, now back, back to the story for a moment. Uh, without too many spoilers, but I'm not really worried about spoilers because people should just see this, and hopefully the spoilers will intrigue them to see <laughs> I'll, I'll just tell you my experience of watching um, your performance, Holt, and the journey your character is on. Okay. And, um, which is basically for you know the first 75 or 80% of the film, that's all I get until a few other people show up at the end. Um, and what, I, what was happening to me, for, to, this is really to both of you, is my, my mind kept racing with what's real what's not real what's in his mind what's not in his mind and and there were some sequences i would watch again and to be quite honest i couldn't figure it out and i think that's good you know i'm I'm hoping that's good because i'm i don't know i don't know i don't know if the death of the dog is real or not i don't know and by the end i think well maybe I i guess it wasn't but it's not just that specific moment like that. It's the, the journey he's going on, how much of it's real, how much of it's imaginary, and how much of the, um, the best way I can put it, Holt, is the illogical behavior that he has at times is actually just illogical and irrational because he's, uh, it's all happening in his head or he's slowly going crazy. Right. Um, so... I'm just sharing with you my, my journey through it and telling you by the end, I still don't have an answer, except I know it's, it's a um, fascinating journey that I'm probably as confused as he was <laughs> by, by the end. So I'm just sharing that with you and really want to, um, whatever thoughts you have on that, or you know, the other thing is, uh, Mike, was that your intention? Um, yeah, it's definitely, uh, the, the film that I made before that, um, sort of kind of dabbles in that same, same idea is you're not quite sure, you know, how far are we inside this character's head of this story? What, what's the Mm -hmm. realm here that we're playing in? Um, and that was definitely in play here. And that, you know, when you get to the end, I mean, the real end, when you know exactly what's going on 
than everything else before, I think, I think it's worth a double mm-hmm. viewing, you know, because then I think things might fall into place and have an enhanced, you know, creep factor to it. At least, you know, when we were, and I, I rewatched the film mm-hmm. before for this interview and it's like, wow, you know, there's some, some kind of little mm-hmm. cool things in there. I was happy about them, but yeah, definitely, uh, you know, you want to, you know, one of the people kind of like, is this really happening? Did he, did he kill his family? Is just something mm-hmm. he's going through as a guilt? You know, what is this, you know, to keep him on their toes? Great. Well, if that's intentional. Then it worked. It, it, it worked. It worked great. The other part of that, though, is, you know, you you don't know where that cliff is. You know, how, am I going too far where I'm never going to get this audience back? You know, and it's uh, I, I, it's like a flip of a coin. I think, you know, what it seems like half the people get it, half the don't get it, or half people like it mm-hmm. and the other half don't like it um, because of these things. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you have to make a choice and, you know, yeah, like like I said at the beginning about it being, sort of, I think I called your film audacious or bold or I may even called it reckless or breaking rules. Mm-hmm. I forget what I said, something like that. And that's one of them. The, the uh, In terms of filmmaking, I think what you just brought up, Mike, is really important is how much do I how much do I cater to the audience to make sure that they're OK right. or how much do I risk losing some or losing all of them for a short period of time or for a period of time for the sake of the story I want to tell and hoping that they can get it or by the end when they see the ending they can flip back and put things in order or put things um, uh, I don't mean in sequential order because you, you the whole thing does play in order but put it makes sense out of it later and I think you're right. It's a big risk. And the overly catering to an audience can be just as dangerous, especially in a horror film. Like, right. I got it. I right, got it. Exactly. There's, there's a monster and it's going to kill people and it's green and it has yellow eyes. You know, I'm done. Can I, can I leave now? <laughs> you know, right. you, you run that risk of it just being and, and watching some older horror films which were classics when they came out we look at them now and go oh that's too bad <laughs> but but it's it's it's, it's yeah. okay it's it's okay it's like a good a very close friend of mine made friday the 13th and um i look at that and go oh <laughs> you, know, you know kevin bacon's in it that's good but yeah. anyway uh, but you know but at the time yeah. it, it was uh, groundbreaking so it's that that's 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 the other part of it is mm-hmm. um, um that we are that we all all struggle with okay shifting gears your crew um and this again all these questions are to both of you working with cinematographer production designer and the third one i want to get into is the house as a character but let's let's talk about production design before mm. we get to cinematography. Any special challenges you had or thoughts you had? Um, I mean, first of all, just to let the viewers know, the cinematography and the look of this film is extraordinary. It's beautiful. It's a, awesome. beautiful, a beautiful thing to watch. Um, I mean, the, from the lighting to the costumes uh, or the costume or whatever. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but even, even the makeup and stuff like that, but the production design of the house and all, all the effects that they do are extraordinarily well done. So it's a joy to watch it just from that perspective. So thoughts, uh, Mike and, and Holt too, about the production design? Yeah, so that was done by uh, a guy named Matthew Engelbert. Um, and uh, he came out about a week or mm -hmm. two before we started shooting. And it was uh, all hands on deck for the for the house because we had a lot to do. Like I, right. I mentioned before about the attic, raising the floor and taking out skylights and, and doing all that. There's another skylight in the in the living room that uh, I drywalled over, and uh, I have a background in like construction, mm -hmm. so I, I can I helped in a lot, you know, stuff. Um, there were the sliding doors had a bunch of windows above them mm -hmm. that we that we put paneling over, so. There was less of a, you know, chance of escape, if you want to say that. But, um, and so the whole the whole bit with the uh, the trap door that goes into the yeah. attic from the closet had the match, you know, and then and then cutting holes in the ceiling of the bathroom right. so the snow can go into the tub and where that was in the attic and like all of that had to kind of be mapped. And it just so happened that just the way this house was laid nice. out, it all just nice. lined up, made sense. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, Matthew just just stepped up and he sourced all of the furniture and the draperies and 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 just put it all together. I, I don't think maybe the fridge was there. Wow. I mean, everything else Matthew put together. Um, yeah, yeah. So and you know and he's. Uh, Oh, no, he was he was from Philly. So, but I don't know if he had really ties in the Pocono area. You have to, go, you know, you, you get on location. You got two weeks or so. You got to go out and you got to source this yep. stuff. You got to start making some friends and you got to make arrangements to get it to set. You know, and he auditioned some things for me. It's like yes, yes, no, no, yes, and and you know, so it it was well, a lot to do. Much. Two weeks is short. I'm sorry, hold on. Two weeks so. is short for anybody. Um, yeah. For such. Not only such a massive yeah. set, which is an entire house, but also knowing this is it for the whole film. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yep. And then you know, the, the pictures and everything, too, you know, with uh, that's all pre-production cool. stuff that we had with the wife and the daughter. We needed to have all that practical and yeah, no, I mean, yeah, that, that was one thing that was, uh, I, you'd mentioned that I was on another film uh, in Texas, and, and Matthew was also the production designer of that film, and, uh, you know, he ended up wrapping, uh, not early in the schedule on the, on the Texas film, but uh, let, let go a few days early so he could go to the Poconos and start prepping that, and uh, I just knew the, the avalanche of work that he had to do, you know, uh, no pun intended, um, and I was... I was, it was, it was shocking for me to have a week off, go back to my home in LA to fly to the Poconos and have this house like completely redone with, again, what he was talking about with the trap doors and everything else. Uh, it was, uh, uh, yeah, really, uh, it was, yeah, it was inspiring just the, the amount of work that they did to, to, to create, uh, kind of the world that Eugene lived in. So, uh, yeah, it was nice. Yeah. Amazing. <clears throat> now in terms of Mike and, um, uh, hold two in terms of working with the cinematographer. Can you t tell us, share with us your wonderful mm -hmm. audience here 
some experiences you had, how that worked, challenges you ran into, whatever. <laughs> yeah, so it, uh, you know, being a being a tight location, you know, it has its uh, has its lighting challenges. That's I mentioned earlier about taking the ceiling out, you know, and then things like that. And um, you know, MJ, our, our DP, was uh, just a f- shooting from the hip, free spirited man with a plan. You know, so um, you just made it work. And then, you know, we, we shot on two cameras, two red cameras. And uh, so that has its challenges, too. I mean, now he, he has to accommodate two cameras. You can't put a light there or this or that. Um, but, you know, it, it's just kind of, I don't know, I was surprised, too, when we started cutting it. It's like, wow. And I started doing a, a color grade on it. It's like really bringing things out. And it's just yeah, it's just, yeah, it came out great. Yeah. I'm really, looks, really looks proud fantastic. of the way. Now, when you're working, what's the cinematographer's name again? I'm, okay, great. So, MJ Marsnick? On the day working with him, and this is why I think it's the three of us, you, you know, you, you hold and the cinematographer because is, now is MJ also operating or is there a separate operator? Well, you got two cameras, so you have at least one other operator. Yeah, MJ was operating A, and then uh, a good friend of mine, Joe Gregg, was operating B. I'm curious about the collaboration on a day. On a day you're shooting whatever is seen, whether it's in the attic or the bedroom or wherever, um, how that team is working together uh, since, as you said earlier, you're exploring the staging and you're saying, okay, the staging could be this way, but now you've got the cameras. And how, how does that collaboration between all of you work? Well, a lot of that, I, I, I sort of needed to kind of make those decisions before MJ got up to even see the house because a lot mm-hmm. of that had to do with how things were built. So with the attic, um, when, when we're on a profile with Holt at the, at the gable end and he's shoveling away, behind you, there is a complete floor there, but it, it's, it's a hinged. So the crew can get in and out of the attic through that right. spot without right. crawling through that little trap door. So I needed to have a spot. I had to pick a spot that this is where the camera's got to live. You know, once we can get in there and close that door and kind of maneuver, but that's sort of like home base, I called it. So I sort of needed to make some of those decisions without them. Um, But, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, if you're limited with your selections, I mean, that's when you can be creative. So if I gave them, give somebody the entire world, they don't know what to do. Like, this is all we got. This is how we're shooting it. Great. It's okay. Yep. I got a plan, you know? So it might've, might've helped. I'd worked with, I'd worked with MJ on on a couple other projects and you know, what's great is, is uh, one, he's he's a really good shooter, but also two, he and I have a, you know, um, uh, he and I have a good um, uh, kind of a shorthand of, 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 you know, I know how he likes to light things uh, for the most part and what he's kind of wanting to, as far as for me to find the light um, on certain things, but also too just, you know, me being an actor on set uh, and not just an actor, but um, uh, you know, it wasn't just a hired gun. I was also uh, helping with the producing of this thing. Uh, I was always also too constantly, you know, looking at the day where we were at as far as time, making sure we were getting our days made, that kind of thing. And so uh, it really was nice working with MJ uh, and kind of getting each other's sensibilities and working with Mike. 
uh, just, I think, made the day. He, he's very efficient. So I think they've made the day. Uh, I don't think we would have gotten uh, everything we got in the time we got it in uh, if it weren't for basically the, the relationship the three of us had together. Yeah. Now, now I'm struck by something. MJ is the cinematographer who you've worked with before. Yes, sir. Right? And Matt is the production designer who, yes, you, who you've worked with on that mm-hmm. film you were doing. Te- it sounds like this, this is a group of people who had worked. Obviously, MJ and Matt, have they worked together before? Yeah, actually, MJ was also had shot the, um, you know, funny, quick little story. We were, I was shooting the film in, um, uh, in Texas, uh, and then we had another uh, DP that was, was scheduled to shoot um, Entity, um, um, and it didn't work out. And, like, literally by day two, uh, we ended up uh, having to replace him and flew MJ up there. So Matt wow. and MJ worked together. Uh, and then MJ thought he was, you know, he just wrapped up for the film that he and I had just done. He was home for like seven, ten days maybe, and then gets a call from us and said, can you get on a plane tomorrow? And um, and that's how that all worked. So, yeah. Um, wow. Key makeup, Aaron Volkman, uh, production designer Matt, uh, MJ, the DP, uh, had – all uh, just worked on the other project that I was on in Texas. And so I think, uh, I think that was it. Uh, Mike, can you, anybody else that you know of other than, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think Jackie Hall came up with people. you guys. And yeah. Uh, and uh, Fred Doss, our, our first AD mm-hmm. who also plays uh, one of the priests. <laughs> so which brings up another question. This, um, and we we're yeah. talking about independent filmmaking. We we're talking about very low budget, um, filmmaking that w- one of the great advantages it can be if you're working with people you've worked with before, right? Um, so, I'm would love to hear from either of you, both of you, b- about those advantages, especially with this film and how it affected um, you, Mike, or how it affected you, Holt, having those people around you on your team who, um, especially like with MJ, who came in late but had to sort of pick up the ball and run with it um how that helped you um pursue the film that you wanted to make well it uh, didn't really help me at all because i didn't know these guys until they came up from texas (laughs) forgive me you you Uh, didn't know them but these are guys who worked with with holt Yeah, it's it's pretty much the same production wow. crew going from Texas up to Pennsylvania, for the most part. Yeah, so the keys anyway. Um, but um, yeah, it. Uh, but I, I guess in, in the way I looked at it is, you know, I think there's a reason that directors and DPs and actors work together with you know, with each other time and time again because of that. It's hard enough to fight all the elements uh, that go against you when making a film, you know, at least you can go to battle with your comrades, you know, and I I can totally see that, you know, being a thing. So, but it was nice to see everybody, Mm -hmm. you know, click on that level. So it was one less thing that I worried about. It's like, Oh, okay. These crew members are getting along or whatever, you know, there's none of that. And how about for you, Holt? You just finished a film in Texas and now you're shooting another one with a lot of the key people still with you. Yeah. You know, 
Um, no, I, I loved it. I mean, it, it was an embarrassment of riches. You know, for me, um, you know, Entity was, you know, in concept was a was scary for me. I'm not talking about scary from the the, the, the story standpoint, but right. it's a it's a risky, you know, uh, it, it's a risky thing. I mean, it's a risky film to have one guy, the the, the main character, really the only character for the, the majority of the first part of the film. And so that's that's weighing on things. And then so uh, and then knowing that we have a limited uh, shooting schedule and then so and then me not really knowing, you know, um, uh, and then just the, all the unknowns. And is this going to work? Is it not going to work for the edit? Do we have we have a, do we have an idea for music yet? Because that's going to play a big part. Um, you know, who's going to who's going to cut the film? You know, blah, 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 blah. And then so at least, you know, there on the day, having a crew that I was familiar with, knowing MJ, you know, very well at that at that time because we we just spent you know a couple months together, mm-hmm. um, and then knowing Matt very well, knowing Aaron, who's makeup, you know, who basically I'm you know I'm sitting with for time, you know, uh, you know some time every day. Um, uh, made the hiccups that you have on a uh, low budget independent film uh, much more easy easier to deal with. And it was one less thing I had to worry about again. Like you know, Mike was saying, it's not. The, the, the weirdness and uncomfortability that you get, you know, the first day at school with with new classmates, you know, everybody kind of knew everybody. So, you know, uh, oddly enough, Mike, the director was the odd man out, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, he got up pretty quickly and, uh, you know, we jumped in the cool kids club pretty, pretty quick, but, uh, yeah, no, I think it, it definitely, uh, at least on my end, uh, reduced some of the, the, the stress and just let me deal with, you know, the, the, the stress that, uh, uh, that I was talking about earlier was just the unknown of uh, trying to make this film uh, uh, work on the on the level that we had. Right, right. Okay, now I want to shift gears now on you. I want to shift to post production. Um, one question to you, Holt: uh, Were you involved in post production at all? Uh, I was not. You were not. I was okay. not. We, we looked at. We had um, initially we had uh, somebody else cutting the film, and Mike and I would both look. You know both look at uh, the roughs and give notes, but I, I wasn't in on anything other than that. Okay. So to you, to you, Mike, in post-production, uh, my big question is discoveries, mm-hmm. discoveries, surprises, disappointments, whatever. Um, I, I find post-production, I mean, obviously that's where the film is made. It's not made in production. And so I'm curious what your experience mm-hmm. with this film was in post-production. Um, it was, it was hell. Okay. <laughs> it was pretty, <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it was, uh, earth changing for me, um, because it was out of my hands, you know, it just sort of lived in, in somewhere in South of the country. I don't know what was going on that we had a lot of unknowns. Um, and, uh, quite a bit of time went by with, without even really seeing much. And then, all of a sudden we got uh, the call that, Oh, this thing's got to be done in two weeks. We got a purchase order from really? Walmart. I'm like, what? So it would seem to be a, a weird mad dash to kind of get this thing going. And I actually had to bring my desktop computer with me on the vacation I had scheduled. Um, so I can look at, you know, what was being done. And, um, you know, at that time, I didn't really mm. have any kind of means of, of post-production myself. Um, so so, so let, let, I, it was I mean, it was kind of brutal. Is, I'm um, really curious now, Mike. 
so this this film after you after you completed production, it went into product post production without you somewhere. And that was a, the original plan. Was that yeah. the producer's plan? Was that what you agreed to or or wanted or? Yeah. How did that come that was, about? Um. Well, really, from from that point, um, like I said, I never had post-production means. So when they said, yeah, we're going to take the film and mm. someone's going to cut it, I'm like, okay. You know, I didn't really think like an option would be, hey, if I get a computer, I'll do it myself. I really wasn't even along those lines. I'm like, cool, like, show me what you got when you get it. And it was like a year later, yeah. I believe. Wow. It was a, quite a while. And then it was, I guess, yeah, it was a mad rush at that point. So, you know, I did something drastic. I, I, I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take this by the horns here. And I sold a car that I had this this beautiful 91 BMW that's in the movie. I sold it and I built an editing computer. I taught myself had to build a PC and I downloaded all the software wow. and started get, getting to work. That's a, this is a great story. So, so I'm, I'm, it's a sad yeah. story, but <laughs> but, it, but it, no, it. it's a great story about a director who <laughs> has lost control of the film for whatever reasons. Can't you know somebody is cutting it somewhere or not cutting it, and yeah. you sell your car so you can build yeah. a um, editing suite. So you can, and somehow I'm imagine somehow you had to get all the footage back to you somehow, so you can start cutting it. So is this final edit? Is this right. your edit, or is it right. a combination? What is it? This. Well, there are some cool things that the original editor uh, mm-hmm. did, and I just copied them. I thought they were good, but for the most part, this is yeah, this is the final edit from our version. Um, there is a, there, there is this movie out in retail right now under the title, the darkening. Um, and I believe hostage, maybe I don't know. Uh-huh. I'm not sure which is the original. Wow. Edit. So there's actually two versions of this film. Yeah. So once we finished entity, this, this edit, uh, whole night decided, you know, we're just going to take it out to festivals ourselves. Yeah. And well, that's that's also goes. a good reason to change the title so, of the earlier one. Yeah, I mean, what what had happened, which was which was super painful, is, right? You know, like like Mike said, it took a year before we saw anything. And the thing is, oh, that wasn't that absolutely wasn't the plan. We were, you know, they they started they were talking. I'm about, I'm, I'm having trouble hearing you, Holt. I'm sorry. Uh, that's, just, that's that's better. Okay. Um, yeah, but uh, as Mike had said earlier, that uh, it was almost a year before we had seen anything, and that that absolutely was not the plan. We were um, supposed to start seeing cut together sequences uh within six weeks of the the time we wrapped yeah, yeah. But we were with a producer that kept putting us off and kept putting us off and anyway that's a, that's a whole other uh legal issue and stuff that, we're, that we dealt with but uh yeah they, they had not started working on everything just sat in drives and hadn't touched it until we got a purchase order from walmart saying the deliverables are due in two weeks i mean no sound design no cut no 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 cut no, nothing at all and so what was sent to them was a very rushed. I can't believe it passed any kind of QC um, <laughs> uh, situation. And and uh, I mean it, it's it's I mean it's it's uh, it's yeah it's an ungodly edit. I mean just to call it what it is. And uh, 
Mike and I were both heartbroken. I mean, when we saw it, uh, yeah. we, we saw it. Well, I went and got a bunch of copies at Walmart thinking it's got to be somewhat good. You know what I mean? It's got to be some, I mean, it's, you know, it's got to be decent. And, uh, and that wasn't the case. And then, you know, immediately Mike, uh, you know, I thought he was going to have a coronary, but uh, that's when he sold his car and said, screw it. I'm, I'm going to recut it and we're going to get it out there somewhere the way I want it to be. Yeah. And, uh, it's he's yeah. Him, him doing that is the only reason that uh, we're, we're on this podcast right now. Well, bless you. Bless you for doing that, Mike. That's uh that's a bold move. And someday I'll tell you about <laughs> my first feature film with a major studio, which I couldn't get back. Uh, you know, because it's a major studio. Oh, they're yeah. they're powerful. Anyway, we'll talk about that at another time. Right. But so the, the um, now here's a big question because you your film is going to show at um, in our film festival uh, in June at some time. So it gets another release in a way. Um, it, get, it gets out there again. But my the question is not really about the release. My my question is really about. The, film itself, the story itself. Um, imagine this, Mike. Okay, your film is cut together. It's, it's your cut, and let's say it's playing. Let's play. Say it's playing in a cinema, which may happen sometime in the future. They'll reinvent cinemas, but but let's say two hundred people see it. Two hundred strangers yeah. who don't know, know you. Two hundred people who just see. Um, entity as it is and this has to do with the legacy of your film my feeling about films is there's the time of, uh, period of time as an audience member where you see the film then there's how the film works on you afterwards even even immediately within the next few minutes the next few hours days weeks months even years it can it, it'll it can working on you no different than what you talked about like with The Exorcist and how that continues to work on you. And I know we all have films that we can't uh, forget, some we don't want to forget, some we wish we never had seen, but we still can't forget them. So what, what is your desire for that audience of 200 who are leaving? What would you like them to be thinking about, talking about, worried about, curious about? conversations are you hoping they might have amongst themselves or to themselves after having seen your film? Well, yeah, that's, <laughs> well, a, that's well, assuming that they got that could it. Be, that could be part of it. That, I mean, part of it would um, be them still trying to sort it out. Right, right. Their head. Yeah. I... I the one thing, and this sort of like kind of like drives me for, you know, when I start a new script or whatever, um, you know, I, I want people to kind of walk away from it, seeing the the humanity mm -hmm. in Holt's character and in Holt's portrayal. It's, you know, he plays the father, he plays the husband, and it's it's those, those things that I always strive for in writing. It's, it's, you know, like celebrating the, the, uh, humanity, you mm -hmm. know, all the little things that make us, us. And I like people to kind of take away that this was an honest portrayal of a person going through whatever, you know, and that I can, 
relate to him. I feel what he's feeling. And at the very end, you know, when you realize he's, mm-hmm. he's still there and nothing's changed for him, who this person, the soul of this person is, is that he's still fighting. He's still mm-hmm. looking to get that, that, you know, to get out that, that I, I want people to kind of walk yeah. away from is that great that Holt, spirit any ideas you character. thoughts you have yeah i mean you know uh it's kind of a two, two-parter in a way for me for me you know i'm an actor by trade um you know i told uh, mike when we first got on the phone i i don't do the horror movies are not something that i, I aspire or have done a bunch of or it's not something i've i've, I've wanted to, or necessarily latched on to um but for me i told him you know it's a love story for, for me, someone who's experiencing the loss of the most important people in his life, and mm-hmm. in the matter of one one day prior to the, the film starting, he went from having a family to being completely alone, right? And um, and then isolation. And so I, you know, I, yeah. Again, what what Mike says, I, I would like the audience to 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 see that and feel that as much as humanly possible. You know, uh, so then the, the the stakes are higher for them, and and you know, going back to the second part, you know, what do I want them to discuss? Yeah, like you know, I remember when I left the movie Seven, just you know, being in the car and being silent as I'm thinking through things, yeah. you know, and, and the person next to me is being silent, and then we, you know, as soon as somebody says something, I'm like, oh my god, what do you think, you know, and you start breaking into it, but you know, when when Eugene comes to, you know, was was that really Eugene or was it? not Eugene, was it, you know, was, did, was that ever him in the, you know, inside the house or was that, you know, where was it, where was the demon, where was not the demon? And, mm-hmm. you know, those are the fun things that I like the audience to, you know, uh, have some discussion over and try to figure out their ideas, you know, uh, were they replicants or weren't they kind of a thing. So. Yeah. And one thought I have about the question I just asked you, if people are leaving, and even asking themselves, who, who are my inner demons? Right, right. What are the demons that I'm fighting? However you might define what, even what a demon is, but right. um, what is it within me, within my life, within my guilt, my shame, my whatever pain that I've been through? Um, I mean, with this character, there's the mother and that story that the priest tells about the mother. But beyond that, what is he carrying in within himself? So if people are asking, well, what, what am I carrying that is destroying me? Right. Something yeah, like that. If someone open up, if they open up mm-hmm. that, you know, we're telling people how, what to think after, <laughs> after the film. This is, this is really good. That's, <laughs> 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 that's, that's deep, Mark. That was really, really that's spot that's on. <laughs> Yeah, that's the answer I should have. I tell you, we we can re-edit this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to give you a chance. (laughs) Okay, a couple couple more questions because we're getting near the end here. Um, Just in terms of filmmaking, one one thing that I'm um, as a um, an observer of a lot of films and fascinated with, you know, the whole process of storytelling. One thing I'm really aware of that with a film, especially but this is true of a script or a book, novel or whatever, even a play. Um, The opening image and the closing image, how a film starts and how it ends are so crucial. I mean, and with your film Entity, if you change the opening, if you change the whole title sequence 
the film would change. If you change the, the ending scene or the ending imagery, mm. the film would change. So I'm really asking you, Mike, you know, as a director, um, what thoughts do you have about um, or reflecting on how you open this film? Because you open this film with a very, in a way, frightening, um, causing a lot of tension, um, images. It's all, it's all a series of images. And where, where did that idea come from? And what did you want that impact to be on the viewing audience? Well, we, we open up in, in the church with this really kind of uh, messed up cello playing. And, uh, you know, I was going for the anticipation of what is to come. You know, it, uh, it's almost like that, that cello just, you know, the bow mm -hmm. just dragging across the strings and it's just a horrible noise. It's almost like heralding the demon. Like it is, it has begun. I'm in this world and it's about to happen. You know, that, that's sort of what I was getting at with, with those images of the church, which actually wounds up back at that same church. Uh, so it's almost like a, like a prophet in a way, which I kind of play in, in a lot of the other horror scripts that I write, that the, the demonic have this uh, way of manipulating the future, knowing the future and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, so it was something where we were going in the end of the movie, but it was also just you know, you know, announcing his presence. So, and then we move right into, you know, this weird, right. out of focus blur of images that, you know, right. it's hard to make out. It's, is it somebody's face or not? Again, it's just something that's just kind of, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, starting to pick at the strings of, of your uh, imagination. And, and it, it just sort of like goes right into the sleep paralysis moment where it holds right. in, in the bed. You know, and we kind of pulled back from him. So we, we almost, we were, we entered his realm and now we're, we're kind of like pulling out and we're, we're observing it from, from afar and we're letting him, you know, exist in this world. So that's sort of like, yeah, because I, I know my, that, my feeling that about dimension that, that opening sequence is before, before I've even met Holt, the character, uh, Holt's character, um, my feeling about the church is, the church is not going to come out well in this. <laughs> but, but that's, I think that's important because you, you are, I mean, yeah. the thing is the opening of a film takes us basically from zero, from nothing. We know nothing. Um, ideally, the audience knows nothing and they just start. And within those first few minutes, uh, even with the title sequence, which you did so powerfully, um, you take us from nothing into something. We'll we'll get something. We will, and it may be individual too. Uh, not that was my reaction, and the person sitting next to me could have a whole different reaction. But they will get focused on something, and then the the out of focus shots of Holt, uh, those blurry shots, which was, I think the first one I wasn't even sure it was a person, but then it, it was clear that it was a person. Those sliding shots, which are actually taken. I realized later from the very end that shot you do at the, at the very end. So there are actually exactly. shots from the end, but that doesn't matter. It's, it's like, there's something, there's something, there's something amiss here. And now in terms of the closing, the closing of the film, what were your thoughts? Well, just to, just to hammer home the idea that, um, you know, 
I guess it's sort of like the, the neon light of saying, this is what's going on with this character. Holt is, you know, Eugene is not free. What we saw was the outer persona of, of this body. Right. And he's still in the, in, in trapped in the cabin. And that reflection when, when, you know, his reflection, which is not his reflection, really, it's, it's actual, the demon version of Holt's laughing at him through that thick snow and the sliding glass door and then Holt's all cut up and everything. It's just like, you think you had it, you know, you think you're on your way out, but you're still there, bud. Yeah. You know, and then Holt just, just doesn't give up, you know, Eugene. So it's just, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, you know, I don't want to say it opens up for a sequel, which I, I don't think so. But I mean, it it in a way, um, it kind of lets evil mm-hmm. win at the end, and sort of. I think I think the story's not over. I, I again, it goes back to his fighting spirit, and you know, I think eventually his friends will figure it out, and, and they will save him. But yeah, it's good, and also, also you bring profound. back the church again in a different way. <laughs> With with the priest and the and the crucifix that's there, and right. it's almost looks like I I almost stopped you, Mike, when you said to hammer mm-hmm. home a point. I said, oh, you know, because there's a sledgehammer in that. <laughs> <laughs> but but it all it almost looks like he's going after yeah. the crucifix, <laughs> although the crucifix is in a different location. I mean, there's that shot of the crucifix that comes to him swing, you know. So it's him. I, I mm-hmm. get. I'm getting this impact of him against, and and the the priest comes off more evil in the end, even though it's the same shot, the same moment. There's something about that resonates with that of Eugene, the character, mm-hmm. against an aspect of the church or some. You know, it's he's still battling that. Right. Right. Yeah. That's well, that, that, that point is sort of, you know, uh, drawn out somewhere in the middle of the film where, you know, Eugene unburies the picture of, of Jesus, you know, it's in the basement, it's in the box under a bunch of stuff and he puts it back. So he is having a struggle with his own faith. And yeah, but my feeling is his faith was definitely a struggle with him. Yeah. It has an issue with him. Right. Yeah, yeah. Which come... Yeah, there's there's more history there, right? With with um, with uh, Father Dario's, you know, kind of monologue there. You know, it it's uh, right. this didn't start with Eugene. It sort of started with his mom, and this is something that's been going on. Um, you know, which is another idea I was exploring. You know, what was that about? You know. And a, a woman who's yeah. pregnant, who is yeah. demonically possessed, like what is that? That's a whole other thing. So yeah, it's, it's really, a big really, pile it's really of mess. For our listening audience, you know? it's a big pile of mess. Well, it, <laughs> it's it's life. It's it's the life of Eugene. You know, he's just he's having he's just having a rough time. That's that's all. So fi- final questions to both of you, because <laughs> yeah. uh, we're nearing the end. We are we're at the end. But anyway, final questions to both of you. Um, I'm going to start with you, Holt. Um, getting off of this film for a moment, in the future, what are your plans? What are your dreams? And if you, Holt, had a magic wand for your career, what would you ask for? 
Wow. That's uh that's a loaded question. Um, yeah, I just got off. I did a limited series, uh, not too long ago in, uh, still having trouble. Busy. You're, you're drifting away. Get close. All right. Is, it, is this any better? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. Okay. I'll, I'll try to. Okay. Okay. I'm going to, yeah, here, I'm going to give it, give it a shot here. I'm, that's I'm good. That's very, good. Go ahead. very intimate, very intimate with this phone right now. Um, yeah, I just got off of a, a limited series that I shot in uh, Romania last year um, that uh, uh, hopefully we'll make a, a decent deal with uh, one of the big streamers. We'll see what happens. But um, at the end of the day, I, uh, yeah, initially I wanted to just be an actor. And, um, you know, I've always asked about the magic wand. Uh, I really like the, the Tom Cruise business model. It's not really the kind of stuff that I that or necessarily the type of films that I do or don't want to do, but just the, how he structured his, his business end of things, mm-hmm. uh, where he's on both sides. Um, I like having some sense of control. I've been in a lot of really, really, really bad movies. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm too much of a control freak for that. And so, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to start uh, producing more. I'm also doing a lot more writing. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, the, hopefully, fingers crossed, the best is yet to come. So the, so the magic wand question, Holt, is you're producing the films you want to make? Yes. Yeah, I, ideally, I would like to get to a level of, um, I, I guess, for lack of a better term, star power. Yeah. So I can cut the line at uh, Starbucks or, you know, uh, sign autographs, but just so I can get stories made that I want to get made Great. just because I'm attached. <laughs> Great. Fantastic. Thank you. And Mike, for you, same, same, same question. What, what are your plans are for the future, dreams for the future? And if you had a magic wand for your career, what would you ask for? Um, well, we're, we're working on putting more films together. Uh, you know, I have a bunch of scripts uh, that are written in another horror genre uh, called Imperatus and oh. won a bunch of awards and whatnot. Mm. We were pretty close to getting things financed when COVID hit. So, Absolutely. you know, I would like to kind of pick up where we left off. Yeah. And um, so... And during um, quarantine, I actually just finished up writing another thriller cop script, which is finally stepping out of genre horror, you know, horror genres. But uh, really, I mean, ultimately for me, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat with Holt about, you know, creating material that I want to see. And I, I think I would love to be able to get to a point where I can cast anybody that I want rather than right. saying we need, you know, big star to make this movie happen because I, I think going back to movies like the exorcist you know i really mm-hmm. didn't know anybody i think just max van Sata was was known but uh he was in full makeup and you know 80 years old you didn't really couldn't recognize him but you know i think a lot of these movies kind of play more yeah. you know they're real for me when i they're not a brad pitt or whatever you know so i, I like to be able to kind of you know, call Great. my own well, shot. I wish for both of you that you get that your magic do. wand wishes. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you. So I want to thank you. I want to thank you both, um, Mike and <laughs> Holt, uh, for this this interview. Michael, Michael Yurinko. Am I pronouncing that right? Michael Yurinko. Great. And Holt Boggs. I got that. <laughs> I want to thank yep. you. The film again is yep. Entity, which will be uh, screening at the Flick Fair Film Festival sometime in June. The date is not set yet, but you'll, if you're listening to this, you're on the list, you're subscribing, and you're following us, 
and we will let you know. I want to thank you. My name again is Mark Travis. I've been your host. I've enjoyed this evening, and I look forward to meeting you all um, at another podcast, and I look forward to you, Michael, and Holt staying in touch as we all go forward in wherever we're going and however the world is changing.